This morning, we looked at uh, the beginning of the gospel, and hopefully you recall, it's every day, it's every decision, and it's every person. These guys are great up in the sound room there, they're getting these up real fast. I thank you for that. But tonight, I want to just focus on this, that's the first point there, but number two would be this, is that we are about the gospel, and to be about the gospel, what does that look like? How is that accomplished? Uh, what, what can take place for that to be a reality in our life? I pray and hope, and I'm sure it's the case, that you have the desire in your heart. But you know, it, it's one thing to have a desire, it's another thing to implement the desire. And, and so, some things that I pray will be a help to you has been a help to me. And it's been a challenge to me, quite frankly. Uh, as I've looked at this passage of Scripture, and especially these first eight verses... And I just noticed some things that I've never noticed before. And I pray there'll be a help to you tonight. You know, verse 2, it mentions that John is, is a messenger. It says, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Can I tell you this evening, just starting off, that just as John was a messenger, we are to be a messenger. Just as John had a message, we also have a message. Just as John was a voice, we can also be a voice. And it's a matter that we have the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And can I say this? We can be proclaimers and proclaim that. The Bible even talks about being an ambassador. More than likely, many of you know what an ambassador is, not because you're an ambassador. Because an an ambassador is stated that you're to be in a foreign country talking about and representing another country. But can I say this tonight? We are ambassadors for Christ because we are representing heaven. And we are representing a foreign country to many. And we're we're to be a representative of that. We actually are to promote and be a promoter of that specified activity. That's what an ambassador is. And Ephesians 6.20 mentions that. Would you take your Bible, please, and turn to Luke. Some coinciding verses, I believe, with this passage of Scripture about John the Baptist that I'd like for us to notice right from the beginning here. And Luke, Luke chapter 1. And Luke chapter 1, as you turn there, you'll see it has many verses. Not the most verses, Psalms 119 does. But um, many verses are in Luke chapter 1 here. A total of 80 verses. And if you don't have a Bible this evening, there's one located in the pew in front of you, just in case that might be a need. Luke 1 Verse 76, it says this, and it's talking about John the Baptist. It says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. Thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Would you notice verse 77, please, with me? To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. I hope you would agree with me this evening that we are, we are able to give knowledge of salvation to others as well. Verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Notice verse 79, would you please? To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. I don't know about you, but we have light. And I'm excited at the fact that we can give light to them that are in darkness. May I remind you, Matthew 5, 14 says, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light so shine before men. May I remind you as well about the the message 
that we are to go forth bearing the precious seed of the gospel. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. See, the same message that John had is a message that we also have. And we can see some things take place in this passage of Scripture if you take your Bible and turn back to Mark 1, if you would. I wanted you to see those correlating verses there in Luke. And I hope you, as you saw those, realized that there is something that we have as a message that we can also take to a lost world, that we can give that light to darkness and those that are in darkness. How do we do this? And I say this, it's just as simple as verse number three, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. One man said it this way, a voice is meant to be heard, not seen. I hope you caught that this, this evening. Maybe some of you children, I have to explain that to you later, but that's all right. But as adults, a voice is to be heard, not seen. A voice. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm given a voice. There might be some of you that wish I didn't have a voice. But I, I have, I have a, a loud voice, and it just kind of comes out that way, and it, sometimes I, can, I have to be careful because it can come across as more serious than what I want it to. And so I try to put the smile on and work at that. But I'm glad I have a voice. And I'm not talking a, a voice in America. I'm just talking I'm glad I just have a voice in general. And we've all been given a voice. The question is not whether we have a voice. The question is what we're doing with our voice. And are we presently using our voice for God? Because there's no question about John the Baptist here that he was using his voice for God. I think of a lady named Johnny Erickson Tata. Maybe some of you recognize that name. A young lady that at the age of 17, her spinal cord was severed by a diving accident. And she's been paralyzed for some 46 years, from the shoulders down. No movement, sitting for the rest of her life. Has been sitting, will be sitting, continues to sit. But you know, there's something with the disability, and she's a quadriplegic. There's something she realized she had. She realized she still had a voice. She still had a voice. Matter of fact, this lady actually paints drawings with her mouth. She realizes that she still has something that God has given to her. I mean, this is somebody that if there's any crutch or any excuse that could have been used to not serve God, to not give her life to God, to blame God, she could have done that. But she chose each and every day, and she chooses each and every day through much pain and much agony and much difficulty and, and, and much chronic pain, really, to tell Jesus first thing in the morning and throughout the day, I can't do it. I can't do it on my, on my own. I can't do this, God. I need your help. Jesus, I need you, and I want, you to, I want to be a voice for you. See, far more important than her is Jesus, and she's been used of God in, in a great way. To those who've been disabled, to those who are not disabled, to bring glory to God for the sake of the gospel. As I mentioned this morning, it's very important that every one of us realize that every Christian is to be a full-time evangelist for the gospel's sake. Please notice with me verse 3 of Mark 1. 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness. What is he crying? What is he saying? He's saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Letter A this morning, I like to, I mean, excuse me, this evening is, is to mention, for us to be about the gospel, we must realize the great task that has been given to us. Realize the great task and how great it really is. I don't know about you, but I get scared by these numbers. 7 billion people, 655 million, 957,369 people are in our world currently. Currently. There's more born as I've been up here. But that number is quite daunting and quite the task. I think you'd agree with me this evening that it's a great task. And I don't know about you, but when I hear those kind of numbers, I think, one, I don't even know what those kind of numbers look like. Can't even imagine how great and how, how many people that really is. But how in the world can they be reached with the gospel? Now that shows my lack of faith. That shows my lack of trust and belief in what God has said in His Word. And so that's on me. But I dare say I'm probably not the only one that thinks that way. I'm reminded of a man that brought in, as a sales manager, he brought in a, a poster board. And he brought that poster board in, and as he brought that poster board in, he had one black dot on that completely white poster board. And he's just trying to get the vision to the, the team and, and get it across to the team, the vision that he wanted them to have. And he said, as he went around the table, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? And without fail, every one of them answered, I see a black dot. I see that one little black dot, completely white poster board. But I see that one black dot. And for every one of them that went around, there was not a one of them that said, I see a white poster board with one black dot. No, I just see a black dot. And see, if you and I aren't careful, we will focus on open Bible. We will focus on ourselves, And we will focus on, on our family. And we will focus on things, oh, they're important, but they're not as important as the white already to harvest. And the completely white that's all around, because if we're not careful, we'll focus in on that one little thing, that black dot. I wonder what you and I see. For John, he's a messenger. For John's message, it was Christ's first coming. For your and I's message, it's Christ's second coming. But notice verse 3, please, with me. It says, prepare ye the way of who? The Lord. Who did he prepare for? Prepare the way of the Lord. God will do as he desires, and, and there's no controlling God. God controls everything. But I find it very interesting that out of anybody God could have used, He chose this man named John the Baptist to be a messenger of His voice and to prepare the way. If you look at this, prepare you the way of the Lord and make His path straight, you'll see it repeated throughout Scripture when it talks about John the Baptist and even this passage of Scripture. And it'll be mentioned in other places of Scripture, Matthew and other places even in the Old Testament. And it's a matter that it mentions prepare, prepare, prepare. The idea is this. Ladies, you know exactly what I'm about to talk about. Preparing your house when somebody comes over. The idea of this, that when someone comes over, I'm going to put all the work I can to getting everything in its place. Personally, 
I have a problem with going to a little drawer or a little area and trying to clean the little areas that don't even matter. My wife says, can you help me with the rest of the room? And I'm focused in on the little closet or the little drawer when I need to help her with the rest of the room. But you know what I find interesting is a matter that, you know how we prepare? Oftentimes, we prepare more for, depending on who it is, that we know is coming over. Oh, as, well, you know, we know who they, who they are. Uh, we'll, we'll prepare, but, but not everything has to be in this place because, you know, not everything's in the place of their place. But wait a second. When we know it's somebody that has this thing so-so, and not that anyone would be like that, not that our pastor would like everything, daughter, I doubt it. No, that's the, that is the case. And I'm glad for that. I'm glad he's that way. And I'm glad that, you know what, everything has its place and God is not the author of confusion and things are to be done decently and in order. I'm glad for the testimony that this place even is because of that. But when we're preparing, everything has to be in its place based upon who's coming over. I mean, if pastor's coming over, I can tell you a hint. I'd have the house clean. Not that I've had trouble with that. I'm glad for my wife and has has the idea already of that before we moved here. But you know what? It's amazing. Depending on who's coming over is depending on how much effort we put forth. Now, John the Baptist did not have it easy. Who is he preparing for? He's preparing for Jesus. Can you imagine preparing for Jesus' coming? Can you imagine knowing Jesus' coming? Well, I better, I better really pull out all stops. I better really make this path straight. Oh, yes. I better really be all about preparing as much and any and every little crevice, little corner, every little place as possible. This is Jesus. It's amazing that in Philippians 3.10, it's so important that we know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, because every event that is worthwhile takes preparation. And can I tell you, boy, it was an event when Jesus came to town. Can I tell you, knowing that Jesus was coming, I can only imagine what they went through to get ready for Jesus and go out of the way to make everything look perfect. The thing I have going against us is 14 hands and 14 feet in our place. But boy, it's a matter of knowing the person. Can I, can I give you this, please? The better you know the person, the better preparation can be made. I hope you caught that because this evening, John the Baptist had a relationship with Jesus. And by the way, the more relationship you and I have with Jesus, the better prepared we can have for things in our life for for Jesus. And we can make the path straight for Jesus. This is what I mean by this is Jesus can be seen in our life. And the lost world can see Jesus in us. I hope you believe that tonight. I hope you desire that. I hope you want that tonight. Because it's a matter that John the Baptist is known for preparing the way. Can you imagine preparing the way for Jesus? I mean, the implication here is to actually, please get this, please get this, implies taking care of absolutely anything that may obstruct his progress. Anything that would embarrass Jesus. Anything that would hinder people from coming to Christ. Anything that needs to be removed, remove it. Anything that needs to be taken away, take it away. Anything that needs to be gotten rid of, 
Get rid of it. Jesus is coming. By the way, Jesus is still coming. And His second coming. I had someone ask this morning, well, how can I be about the gospel? I be dead to self and alive to Christ. Realize that Jesus is coming and, and treat every day in a way that, that Jesus is coming today. Boy, I want to be prepared. I want to be ready. John the Baptist is not only given this task. We've been given a task as well to be prepared for Jesus' return and His coming as if He were going to come tonight, right now. So come, Lord Jesus. Glad to be in this church, but I'd so much rather be in heaven. But I hope I'm ready and I hope I'm prepared. You know, one of the things that's taking place with John the Baptist is here, he was chosen because he's preparing the way for Jesus and he's being a presentation of Christ. He's portraying to the lost world. It's as if, just as the Word of God says for us to be salt and light. And so how well the representation of Christ is being shown currently in our life. This is where it gets down to brass tacks or the road meets the road and what right now in our life represents Jesus? Well, that's convicting to me to think, what is there in my life? I, I pray and hope there would be some things in my life, but you know what? There's way more room for more things to be in my life for Jesus. What do the lost people we come in contact with think about Christ and what they think of Christ is like based upon you or I? See, 2 Corinthians 3, 2 says, Ye are epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. 1 Corinthians 2, 2 says, I'm determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What do they see of Jesus in us? John the Baptist here, he's living a life that backs up what he's being preached and what is being done. Please notice, he doesn't just say, prepare you the way of the Lord and make his path straight and the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Notice what happens in verse 4 with me, please. Mark 1, verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Notice what happens in verse 5. It's amazing if you catch it. It says, and there went out unto him, they went out unto him where he's at. Mind you, he's in the wilderness. All the land... Well, that doesn't mean all the land. I mean, Scripture must be wrong on that. It must be just part of the land. It's just some of the land. No, no, no. It says all the land. It means what it says, and it says what it means. All the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and we're all, all, really, all? No, it must have been just, just some decided not to, and some, some decided to, and maybe that was dependent on what day it was. No, no, no. It says all baptized of John, or excuse me, all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. Confessing their sins. Can I encourage you to write this down, please? Purification comes as a result of true Christianity. Purification comes as a result of true Christianity. See, John just wasn't saying something. Something was happening and something was being done. Because he's preaching something that's not too famous. He's preaching, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's preparing the way for Jesus Christ. And by the way, Jesus is going to preach the exact same thing. He's going to preach, repent, repent. And that one message is going to be the thrust and going to be ever so evident in the life of Christ. Peter's going to preach it. 
Others are going to preach it. Repent, repent, repent. And purification comes as a result of true Christianity. But we've got to realize how great the task is. We've been given a great task. And John was about this great task. And so things are happening as a result of the great task. There's great impact. And great impact is happening because John is not desiring for great impact to take place. No, he's just about the task, realizing I have a great task at hand right now, presently, preparing the way of the Lord, making his path straight. That's a big deal. That's a big job. I don't know if there's any bigger job than that, actually. And by the way, great tasks can have great impact. More lives, I believe this can be affected than you and I can ever imagine with just us going about the great task of the gospel. Billy Sunday. There's a fellow by the name of Bruce Barton that had it out for Billy Sunday. He wanted to find the dirt. Not that anyone would ever try to find dirt on a preacher of, of the gospel. But it happened in Billy Sunday's day. I'm sure it still happens today. Bruce Barton, looking for that dirt, looking to expose the evangelist Billy Sunday. And Bruce Barton said, I chose three towns to talk to as many people as I could to get some dirt on Billy Sunday. I talked to the merchants, and they told me that during the meetings and afterward, people walked up to the counter and paid bills, which were so old that they had long since been written off the books. He said, I went to visit the president of the Chamber of Commerce of a town that Billy Sunday had visited three years before. The president of the commerce said this, I'm not a member of any church. I never attend, but I'll tell you one thing. If it was proposed now to bring Billy Sunday to this town, and if we knew as much about the results of his work in advance as we do now, and if the churches would not raise the necessary funds to bring him, I could, get this, I could raise the money in half a day from men who never went to church. He said, when the circus comes here in one day, they leave nothing. But when Billy Sunday preaches repentance and he leaves, we are left with a different moral atmosphere. Wow. Similar things happened to Billy Graham as he preached in the gospel in Shreveport, Louisiana. Liquor sales dropped by 40%. The sale of Bibles increased 300%. During a mission in Seattle, amongst the results that is stated, several impending divorce actions were canceled. In Greensboro, North Carolina, the report was that the entire social structure of the city was affected. I tell you, purification comes as a result of true Christianity. John the Baptist, why did you, why all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and, and all baptized of him in the river of Jordan confessing their sins? Because he's preaching repentance and he cannot preach something that he's not living. And if we realized how great a task we have, how much a difference it can make in the lives of others, we would be about the gospel each and every day, and more of Jesus would I know, more of his grace to others show. How did the, John the Baptist have such impact? Well, not only did he see the great task we've been given, but secondly, this evening he used what God gave him and where God placed him. And we need to use what God gives to us and what God gives to you and and where God places you. What did God give him? It's pretty interesting. 
This is kind of the part of the story where I like it a little bit here. It's rough around the edges. Verse 6, And John was clothed with camel's hair, and with a girdle of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locust and wild honey. That's what God gave him. John was who John was. And he was a sight to behold. And to many who would see him, he was very different. But he didn't wear the clothes to get the attention to himself. Matter of fact, in actuality, these clothes were meant as an object lesson for God's use, God's God's glorification, drawn to the message, not the messenger. How do you know this? Well, this is a very humble appearance. This is a very humble approach. And John's message was as startling as his physical appearance. When he says repent and he looks that way, there's, there's a change there because it's so different from the well-mannered, soft-spoken, richly adorned, perfect to the T, Pharisees and Sadducees of that day. See, John's scratchy camel's hair cloak, his, his belt, and the diet of locusts and the wild honey served as a stinging rebuke to the leaders of that day, the Israel's religious establishment. He stood out, and they knew it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees thought by their own appearance they had it all together, all put together on the outside, but boy, they were disarray on the inside. See, the outside for John the Baptist was so different, there was no question he was not one of those Pharisees and Sadducees. So by all means, we need to, you know, get a cloth of camel's hair and girdle skin and, and eat locusts and wild honey. Well, I'm glad we don't have to do that. But his appearance stood out, and he more than likely had an aroma to him, and he might have had just locusts stuck in his teeth. <laughs> And I mean, everything about John's behavior was strange, but it was an object lesson for God to use. And it was never John's intent to call others to live like him or to dress like him or wear this. I don't know if he could have gotten anybody on board with wearing those things and doing that anyways. But in actuality, it was calling people away from dressing to the hilt like the hypocrites and caring more about the outside than what was on the inside. Because you and I know this, when the inside is taken care of, the outside comes into play and eventually does get taken care of. But the hypocrites made everything look good on the outside and they were leading people straight to hell with their religion. The hypocrites would say all the right words, but yet they greatly relaxed the genuine relationship with God. Not for John the Baptist, because he was using what God had given him. We must be careful 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Think of these stand, take heed lest he fall. John had a simple, simple, excuse me, a simple, humble approach, a humble look about him, but he also had a very, very humble spirit. You'll see that spirit when he says in verse 7, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. Where God placed him. Oh, he used what God gave, what God gave him, and what God had given him, he used it. To his honor and his glory, but where God placed him was not the ideal ministry, was not the perfect location where we would say, that is a place to build a church. It is in the wilderness. Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. 
It's a land of devastation. But can I say this? God does His work through means we can't even ever imagine. And sometimes He does His greatest work in the places that we would never think would be even possible for God to do work, but He can do it. And here John is in the wilderness, and yet the crowds are coming to him, and the crowds are going to be driven, both the curiosity, probably maybe a little bit of the way John looks, and conviction. Why are they coming out to the wilderness? Can I tell you this? This is the main reason. Because they want to hear this prophet preach what he is preaching. Get this, he's preaching right to them, and very convicting to them, straightforward, saying, repent. That's what he's preaching. How many headlines is that going to make? How how great a message is that going to be talked about? Well, it was. He's preaching repentance. In other words, the repentance of this kind, the Greek word says, it's more than just sorrow or, or regret. It actually means to change the mind and will, to change complete direction. If you're going this direction, to completely change and go the other direction. It encompasses the idea of opposite. Repentance, not just change, but a change from sin to righteousness. It involves sorrow over sin, but it even goes beyond that to produce both changed thinking and a changed life. This is what the world needs. Repentance, still. But not only the world needs it. Christians, church-going Christians need this still. To repent. Can you hear John and his voice? I don't know about you, but I just sense... There's got to be passion. That he's actually a voice crying in the wilderness. And with that, don't you just sense a heartfelt care and the message that he really means it and he's really preaching it because he believes it? And it tells you something about the relationship that he has with Christ. Matter of fact, Jesus is going to ask later on to his disciples in Matthew, he's going to say, whom do men say that I am? And they respond, well, some say... You're John the Baptist. That tells you about John the Baptist. That also tells you about Jesus. They're preaching the same thing, and it tells you about the relationship these men had. Why to the wilderness? Because there's something different about this man. This man named John, there's something, there's just something different. Not just only the way he looks, not the only way he smells, but there's something different about what he's preaching. And he's willing to take the place, the wilderness where God had placed him, and use it to bring people to the Lord and to take the gospel to them. So here's where it comes down to us. You say, There's no way I can be John the Baptist. Well, we've been given a message, and he was given a message. Well, there's no way I can be John the Baptist. Well, you're not meant to be. You're supposed to be who you're supposed to be, but we're also supposed to be still with the gospel. And how can we be about the gospel? Well, we had a voice. And that voice is to be used just as John used his voice to tell others that they can repent, that, they, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it's coming sooner than we realize. And matter of fact, because of that, I want to get to the message to as many people as I can. And so John the Baptist said, well, what can I do? How can, how can, how does this, how does this work for me? What God has given me and where God has placed me? Well, what town has God placed you in? What, what work place has God placed you in? What family has God placed you in? What relatives do you have? What friends? What neighbors? What walks of life? 
You know, what grocery store do you go to? What gas station do you frequent? Where do you go? That's, that's where God has placed you. Do you realize God has placed you on purpose in those places so that you will get the gospel to those people, so that you will point the people to Jesus? So you and I, like John the Baptist, can be a voice. So you and I, lastly, are showing who we, catch this please, let us see, who we are consumed with. And if we're consumed with the greatness of God, it is just going to come out. Can I say this? If you're consumed with Christ, it's going to ooze out of you. It's just going to, over, it's just going to flow out of you. It's going to, it's going to start taking place. And, and so verse 7, it says, And preach, saying, Oh, there, there cometh one mightier than I. After me, the latch of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. Well, I have indeed baptized you with water. But he, but he, he's greater. He was consumed with God being greater and the greatness of God. He's coming and he is so much better than me, is what John the Baptist is saying. So much so, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and tie a shoe. That's, that's how great he is. I'm not even worthy to do that. And so, I'm reminded in closing of a song. I think you probably have heard it. But it's back to this thought of what in our life do they see of Christ. And so if we're going to be about the gospel, it really depends on how much they're going to be able to see of Christ in us. And I'm reminded of the song that says, I saw Jesus in you. When I enter heaven's glory and I see my Savior's face, I will offer Him 10,000 years of praise then I'll find that special one in whose life I saw God's Son. In whose life I saw God's Son. In whose life I saw God's Son. And through tears of joy with trembling lips, these words I'll say, I saw Jesus in you. I saw Jesus in you. Oh, I could hear His voice in the words you said. What you, what you talked about, how you how you spoke. I saw Jesus in you. In your eyes, I saw his care, and, and I could see his love was there, and you were faithful. And I saw Jesus in you. So tonight, just trying to bring about an awareness at the task at hand, it's great. That we can be about the gospel, and it can become real in our lives, and we are simply a voice, and we have a message that's the greatest message of all. It's the gospel. I don't believe this just good news. I believe it's the greatest news. And we can use what God has given to us and where He has placed us and where He's placed you in the walks of life. It's not by coincidence. It's not by happenstance that you know so-and-so neighbor or so-and-so person. It's not by just mere instance I ran into them and so-and-so I, I had not, hadn't seen in a long time and I, I know they're not with Christ. No, no, no. God puts you in that place on purpose in the walks of life to share the gospel at some point in their life and at least... Let them see Jesus in you at this, at this point. They're not open to the gospel. So when you get a chance to share the gospel, that they say, yeah, I want what they have. And using that and be consumed with God's greatness that we speak of Christ so easily. And then you know what happens? That Christ shows in our life and Christ is the hope of glory. What a wonderful thing. May God help us. May our prayer be that people see Jesus in us. So that when the time comes, as it will, that we can present the gospel, they'll be willing to not, no way, I don't want anything to do with it. No, 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 no. They'll be willing to, yep, I'm ready. 
I want to receive, I want to accept what I see in you. And the difference that God has made in your life can then become the beginning of the gospel in their life.